Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. Grab your pumpkin spice lattes and get in here. You know, it's the first House of Krause episode for the fall season. The leaves aren't quite starting to turn yet, but you know what is starting to turn? The pages in the Toronto International Film Festival catalog. They arrived the other day here at the House of Krause. We've been leafing through them, figuring out what movies to see, what movies not to see, and you know, Every year I look forward to the festival with a mix of anticipation and dread. Anticipation at all the great movies I'm going to get to see. Dread, well, if you want to hear the voice of dread, tune back in in a week or so. Uh, once I'm tired, once I am uh, exhausted from having seen all the movies, done all the interviews. Now listen, I'm not complaining. I am not complaining about getting the full film festival experience but it does tire one out. But with all that in mind, I was thinking about interviews to put together for this week's podcast, and Christopher Plummer came up. Now, Christopher Plummer is in a really interesting movie this year at the Toronto International Film Festival called Remember. It's an Adam Agoyan film about a man hungry for revenge uh, against the Nazi guard that killed his family 70 years ago. And I predict that we're not only going to hear a lot about this movie during the film festival this year, but in the months leading up to Oscars, I think we're going to hear a lot about Christopher Plummer there. So keep that in mind. It's not a review, it's just a, a comment. But I pulled out an interview uh, from a few years ago. This is Christopher Plummer talking about the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. In the interview, we talk about the kind of work that Christopher Plummer is doing now. We talk about uh, the kind of, of atmosphere that was on the set once Heath Ledger sadly passed away while they were making that film. We talk about Terry Gilliam. It's an interesting interview with a really interesting man, an icon, not only of Canadian acting, but worldwide. Good interview. Check that one out. After that, we have something just a little bit different. Dolph Lundgren will tell us how to stay in shape. Who doesn't want to know how to be six foot seven? I don't know how tall he is. A giant and still stay in uh, such excellent, pristine physical condition. Well, Dolph Lundgren tells all just a little bit later on in the show. First up, though, Christopher Plummer. I think that sometimes people tend to take uh, you, because of, of the history you've had, a little bit more seriously than maybe you take yourself. Do you think that's true? Uh, well, they, they shouldn't, because God knows I've done enough comedy. And uh, I've done enough baddies in my life to, to ensure a lightness of touch. Uh, so they, I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, I, I have great fun in what I do, and uh, I always like not to take myself seriously, nor, nor the work, because it's so pretentious when, when I, certain people do, uh, and I, I hate it. They take, they, they, they have a, such a sort of indulgence that, uh, that I, I can't put up with. So when you're working with someone like Terry Gilliam, who is uh, just a, a, someone who I, I, I think lets his imagination run wild yep. and has no edit switch, he's not politically correct, he doesn't take himself particularly seriously, this sounds like the perfect match of director to actor <laughs> to me. Yeah, I, I, I love Terry. I think his, his huge talent uh, and imagination it, it has become actually totally original on the screen. There isn't anyone else that I can think of, even going back into the silent film days, um, who is as extravagant in his, in his imagination as both an illustrator and an animator. 
and a, and a director, but mostly as an illustrator and animator. His, um, uh, I suppose one would call it a, a mad mix of, of Rousseau and uh, Hieronymus Bosch. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where he gets his inspiration, but it's certainly from some of those guys, you know. Uh, and his writing inspiration and his ideas come from, you know, I suppose Rabelais and Boccaccio and all, and Lewis Carroll, mm -hmm. because Lewis Carroll is always very present on the other side of the mirror, has always been a preoccupation of Terry's, and a preoccupation of mine, because um, Alice Through the Looking Glass is one of, is a lasting, stays with you all your life. Lewis Carroll was, in his way, the most original of those fantasists. Really, the the, the, the the beginner of them, and the most original. Um, and uh, I think Terry must love love them, those stories, because they're so they're so present in his work. Well, there's something about those stories when I think of the Lewis Carroll stories that sort of you know, take the key and unlock a door that maybe we hadn't seen before yes, in literature. And I think that since then, and when I look at uh, Terry Gilliam's work, he seems to be someone who, uh, his stories are, 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 they seem old-fashioned, but very modern at the same time. So that I guess this one is a fairy tale yes. in a lot of ways, but it's set in modern-day London, yes. among other places. Yes. And it's hard to tell when the movie first started when I see the uh, Dr. Parnassus uh, wagon in this parking lot, I thought, are we in 1800? And then the camera pulls back a little bit, and it looks like you're in a parking lot of a convenience store. Or that's something. right, that's right. And so I, I, I thought that's the great juxtaposition that Terry brings to so many of his films. Brazil is the same way. You don't know exactly when it's set. No. It's so, uh, it's lovely. Yes, uh, yeah, there's no time, time's warp. Yeah. There's, no, there's no century. It, it's... It's all the centuries, all rolled into one. I think it's the best thing he's done for a long time. And, um, and I loved his departures, like Fisher King, and, yes. and even Twelve Monkeys, which I was in, was, was a slight departure, but always a little on the obscure side yes. and, and, and always dark. Uh, but, but this is his, his joyous moment. Um, and um, I think we just must let him have, have a ball, because he makes us have a ball. Right, well, it almost didn't happen because of, of Heath Ledger's passing, but the film works so beautifully well now. I mean, going in, we'd all heard about it, and... Well, it actually works, in a, in a funny way, better than the original script, because the audience needs to be rejuvenated at the 11th hour, and they are, by the presence of the three guys. I think Heath would have thoroughly approved of that, and and probably been relieved not to go on, actually. <laughs> he said, okay, fellas, it's time that I had a break. Right. Uh, yes, there's, it, there's all sorts of modernisms, uh, the Russian mafia, mm -hmm. the, well, everything is present, everything is now, uh, but told in a sort of classic circus vein. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's great entertainment. Nine opened last weekend. Yeah. Uh, you're here promoting Dr. Parnassus. You've had more films. It seems, you know, every couple of months, a film starring Christopher Plummer is opening now. Are you working more now? Is it my imagination, or...? Yeah, I think I'm working a lot. I, I, I've always worked a lot. I know, you've always worked a lot. Because I go back and forth from the theater to the film, and, uh, you know, see, I couldn't stay in one medium. It would be so boring. 
So I, I go back and forth. But uh, lately, yes, I've been getting terrific scripts. Maybe because I'm getting so old that all my contemporaries have gone, and I'm I'm the only one left. So I have to have the scripts to work with. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm thoroughly pleased because it keeps me young. Well, the, the work that you're doing now, honestly, is wonderful, and the work in Parnassus is wonderful. Terry Gilliam told me yesterday that if there was a Mount Rushmore for actors, your face would be the first one. <laughs> yeah. Terry's a very funny... Yeah, that's sweet, yeah. <laughs> Except that Mount, Mount Rushmore doesn't move, and I do. <laughs> I guess the actor's work is all in the face as well, you know, so... <laughs> yeah. Um, tell me uh, a little bit about creating this character because he he is, in some ways, well, he's a mystical character, but in other ways, he's an old drunk. Yes, you know, that's that's, so. where, that's the easy part, right? <laughs> the old drunk part, and uh, he is a no. I say he's a dysfunctional Faust, right? Uh, and uh, his tricks don't work very well anymore, which is what I find enormously endearing, and it's packed with the devil. Is classic, of course, and stolen, mm -hmm. and uh, his love for his daughter is always there. But he's a selfish old bugger, and he needs to learn of his selfishness, and he does at the end. Uh, but the film takes over, and and actually a lot of it that he's been trying to do does work, and finally brings a lot of joy to people, brings that family together, even the, the sort of crook, the horrible robber, thief, uh, Heath Ledger, bring, is welcomed into the family. It's a sort of, it's the lost souls, isn't it? Uh, it's in J.M. Barry. It's, uh, it's, yeah, Peter Pan, the lost souls. Well, this is why I think it works so well, because it is a fairy tale, and on, on, on some level we can all you know, relate to it in, in, in some way because oh, it's yeah. a classic story of good and evil even though it is a flight of imagination yeah. as well. Yes. That was the legendary Christopher Plummer at the House of Kraus. A legend of a different kind, Dolph Lundgren. Now he's a Swedish actor, director, screenwriter, film producer, martial artist, and believe it or not, a chemical engineer as well. But for me, he will always be in my heart Ivan Drago, the imposing Russian boxer from Rocky IV, but he's made dozens of other movies, including Masters of the Universe, more recently The Expendables films. Uh, he doesn't appear to have aged all that much, certainly not physically. He's still a huge, imposing man, and we talked about how he stays that way. What's your regular workout routine? You say you do martial arts quite often. Do you work out Five times a week? Do you work out two hours a day, or how does it work? It depends quite a bit of what I'm doing, but uh, uh, I'd say on an average about five days a week, four or five days a week, uh, and I do martial arts about twice a week, depending. It could be twice a week, martial arts three times a week weights, or flip that around, depending on if I do a lot of martial arts, say if I'm back in Europe, I do more martial arts, I could do like weights maybe twice a week and martial arts three times a week, something like that. And what style of martial art do you do? It's called uh, Kyokushin Karate, it's Japanese karate, and I have a 30-week black belt, and I'm planning to get my fourth next year, at the, and I'm planning to do a demo at the World uh, Championships in uh, Tokyo next year. Wow, how long have you been doing that? Since I was, uh, oh, a long time, since I was about 14. Really? Yeah. Now, how did you get involved in that initially? Well, I um, did judo when I was a kid, I did ice hockey. Yeah. Hey, I love ice hockey. I was just, I'm Swedish, so I used to play that. 
And I did pretty well, but then I don't know why I got involved in judo, and then from judo I went to karate, and uh, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I I think it has something to do with my upbringing and my dad, and I had a lot of problems, you know, you know, he was a bit tough on me, and I think the the sort of you know that's why it attracts you to these sort of physical sports and with a lot of contact. So I really enjoyed karate, and I kind of got a lot of. Um, uh, I think a release and a lot of uh, self-confidence from it. Did you find also, I talked to people who, who are involved in martial arts and often it's the discipline that comes along with the martial art that is one of the drawing points for them. I agree, yeah. I think martial arts, you know, being a martial arts, I suppose it's called, is designed to train warriors to mm -hmm. fight to the death, basically. So it, it takes some discipline to do that and some uh, you have to be, you have to have etiquette, and you have to have a certain outlook on life. That's uh, kind of fairly uh, uh, simple and and and, and um, elegant, I'd say. And and, and uh, it's not self-centered. Right. It's not an egocentric type of sport. So you don't go yelling and screaming and uh, walking around, you know, thinking you're the greatest. You right. know, that doesn't work in martial arts, which I, I like about it. Would you say that that the study of martial arts since such a young age, since you were 14, has changed your life? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, it did change me. I was very insecure and I was kind of sick as a kid. Mm -hmm. I was allergic and, and I think that it really changed me physically and also it gave me uh, a sense of who I am and, and it's certainly today it's a great way for me to, uh, to find and get an antidote from, you know, against Hollywood and, and all the, you know, uh, you know, trappings of that kind of lifestyle. <laughs> right. What's the most dangerous stunt you've ever done? Oh. Well, I've done a few, but um, <laughs> I think what comes to mind is in, in a film called Red Scorpion back in the 80s, I, I decided, which is very stupid anyway, to, uh, there was a transfer, I had to jump from a um, motorcycle sidecar, I think I was driving it, and then I jumped up, got on the sidecar and jumped over to a truck, which is moving, <laughs> in Africa. Right. So, you know, in Africa, you're not exactly, they don't, that self become safety conscious. Right, right, right. And I did that jump and it was, uh, I, I made it, but it was, it was pretty scary. So no wires, no? No, 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 no wires, none of that stuff. No, I've done a few of those back in the 80s, uh, a few high falls too, which right. were cut out of the picture because that sequence was cut out, but you know, like a 80 foot into a bag, like that's, you know, no actor will do that. Yeah. It's, and I hurt my back actually, but look. You only live once, what the hell. <laughs> is, is there a difference now uh, in the filmmaking process to the kinds of stunts that actors are asked to do versus back then? I mean, it sounds a bit more, you know, the way you describe the, the motorcycle stunts, sort of like the Wild West. It's like, it's easy. You just jump from here to here. We, we know you can do it. You know, it's, it's a little different now, though, right? Yeah, it is, for sure. I mean, Expendables was a bit like the old school stuff where guys were chosen to do, chose to do things, right. and because Stallone himself does a lot of fights, and he doesn't right. love his own stunts, so the other actors feel they have to live up to that. Uh, but I think in a lot of movies, not despite of what they say in the press, most of the actors won't do a lot of things because it's just too dangerous, or they can't do it. Because right. if something goes wrong, you know you'll you'll get hurt or killed. Mm -hmm. So and producers can't allow that. Will you do any more action movies after the Expendables? <laughs> well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> but I hope so, yeah, for sure. What is it about the action movie genre that appeals to you so much? Well, it's a way of making a living for me because people want to see me do it. Right. Uh, I like physicality. I mean, I, I think, you know, especially if you can direct an action movie, mm -hmm. you get a chance to have fun and, and be a kid and play with guns and cars and 
you know, a few beautiful women in there too, if you're lucky. And at the same time, when you're directing, you kind of get a bit of an intellectual challenge too, because you're making other decisions about music and editing and stuff. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a great job really. It's, it's hard work, but it's, it's a fantastic job, very challenging and, and very rewarding really. If you could be any one of the characters you played in your career in real life, which one would it be? <laughs> well, it wouldn't be Gunnar Jensen. <laughs> Guy's too psych. I wouldn't live. I wouldn't live an hour out here in the streets. Uh, I don't know, man. That's that's a tough one. I, I, well, I don't know. Ivan Drago is in Siberia for losing the fight. Um, hmm. Okay, I'd have to be Joe, the rock and roll drummer from Kimmy on Performance, right. because rock and roll is really cool. Yeah. yeah, and you get to play drums, you get to meet women, I guess that's yeah, how it works, right? the groupies, right? At <laughs> least in the movies. <laughs> if there was a character you could play, who would it be? Any uh, character at all? Well, I suppose um, I'd love to do something in Sweden, right. a Swedish-based sort of film. I've never done that, so uh, maybe a Swedish historical character. I don't know exactly who, but some... Uh, maybe a uh, military officer or something like that. Hey, that's all there is for this week. The smell of pumpkin spice is getting overwhelming in here, so I'm going to have to ask you all to leave. But thanks for stopping by the House of Kraus. Thanks to Ivan Drago, Dolph Lundgren, Christopher Plummer. Go see Remember when it opens in theaters. You won't be disappointed. And be sure to drop by here next week, again, on Monday. We put a new episode up every week because you never know who's going to stop by the House of Crows.